0: Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen.
1: It's Andrea Jansen here. I am super excited about this episode. I got to interview Eleanor Beaton. She is one of my role models and what she's doing to make the workplace better for women is she is helping women entrepreneurs to grow and scale their businesses because let's be honest the gender gap exists in the corporate world and it is alive and well for entrepreneurs as well. We talked about what you can do to support women owned businesses, whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or if you work in the corporate world. It was a really great interview. So tune in, take some notes and let's get started. So hi, Eleanor, thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to dive in. So, I want everyone to know. So, I have Eleanor Beaton on here today, and I want to share a story about the first time I met Eleanor. So, this was 2017, the week before International Women's Day, and the Halifax Chamber of Commerce, where we both live, was having an event called Wonder Woman. And they asked me to be on the panel of successful women. And at the time, my business was just starting, I was a baby on the entrepreneurscape. And they told me that Eleanor was going to be on the panel as well. And Eleanor had this really successful business. She was killing it in the women's leadership space. She was someone that I really looked up to. And it was like, we want you guys to do this panel together. And I was terrified. But I did it anyways. And it was fabulous. And now we're here today. Uh, it's a year and a half later. <laughs> and years. So I'm really excited about this.
0: That we had so much fun that day. And I I feel like it really is a testament to how... You know, when you're, when you're in the world of making your contribution, you've got your head down, you're doing the things. And sometimes, you know, other people see what you're doing like they did in that case when, when you're sort of there as a role model of success of what that looks like. And sometimes there's a difference when we're in the work in how we see ourselves and how other people actually see us. And so I think that's something that so many people can relate to.
1: Totally. So before we dive in, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself, Eleanor, and tell
0: everybody about what you do. So I am the host of the Fierce Feminine Leadership Podcast, and I run a business which is really focused on helping women entrepreneurs to step into their power as market leaders, take their seats at the tables where the big deals and decisions are made, and really grow into positions of influence. And I think it's from that place where we as women leaders and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs can really make a difference in terms of driving uh, gender equality in the world. So we do that through very specific programming and coaching. um, And it's really, you know, my intention to help drive gender equity um, worldwide through the power of women entrepreneurs.
1: I love it. So before you were an entrepreneur, before you were this leadership expert, before you had a podcast, before you were a keynote speaker, what was life like for you?
0: Well, I like before, this is actually my second business. So my very first business that I started um, was I had a communications consulting business. And I ran that right up until sort of late 2014. And a lot of the work that I did in that business was around doing sort of boutique communication styles, communications consulting, boutique style communication consulting with CEOs, with um, nonprofit organizations, with uh, groups and associations that were looking to improve their lobby And so they needed to communicate effectively. Um, And so I helped them both sort of uh, develop external communication strategies, you know, communicate during times of crisis, um, and also develop, you know, as I went on, internal communications training programs and policies and that kind of thing. So that's what I did, and, and that really was sort of an extension of the work that I started doing, which was in advertising, public relations, and journalism. So my, my work is very much always sort of front and center to all of the work, like a thread that's run through it, has been this idea of communication. But that business was um, very boutique. So it was myself. Um, I had like two other people uh, who worked in the, in the company with me as sort of contractors. It was project by project. And I was very much behind the scenes, uh, supporting, advising. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the business that I went on to, you know, I shut that business down, the business that I went on to create, which I have now. Um, is actually much more dependent on me being out there. So it really shifted, you know, what it looks like shifted. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where I started. And, you know, and obviously before I was doing my women's leadership thing and have the business I am, I have now, you know, uh, passionate amateur athlete, <laughs> mom, um lover of books, lover of great netflix shows. Those things haven't changed. They're never going to go away those things.
1: So what made you want to take this on? Like tell me about how you realized that this you were the person to
0: step up and take on gender equality. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> You know, so there were a couple of things going on. Um, so there was sort of the external market realities and then there was kind of the internal. So I'll start with the external. So basically it was, it was client demand, which I know that there's some of your people listening, um, you know, are going to either potentially have their own business or this may be an aspiration that they have. And anytime, you know, that you have a business that is the direct result of people asking for it, um, you know you 've got something powerful, and so essentially, I was running these communications development programs you know um, where I was doing c- communications training and that kind of thing inside organizations and so my clients started asking me, "Hey, can you do some leadership uh, communications programming as well and so um, so I started to do that. And really, at the time, I was working primarily with uh, leadership teams inside kind of manufacturing and that type of thing. And so if I had a group of 20, you know, 20 leaders whom I was training, maybe three were women. And that, at that level, that's when I started to notice differences in how women were showing up with me one-on-one um, you know, when I was talking to them before the program started versus how they were showing up around those tables. And, um, so I observed these differences. And then the other thing that started happening is they were coming to me and saying, you know, do you work, um, do you do any work with people one-on-one? So that's what really, uh, I didn't at the time, but that's what, uh, you know, prompted me to, um, get training as a coach and to start working primarily with women and start addressing both, you know, in terms of supporting women individually, but also taking it sort of a look at it more systemically at some of the barriers that women were experiencing. So that's kind of the, the sort of external drive. I, I saw a need and an opportunity and internally, you know, I had been like, I don't know um, if you have found this, but you know, growth and development is such a profound and powerful feminine value. Like women just keep transforming and it's like, you know, the more life experience, it's like that desire to transform and evolve continues to speed up the more we live. And so I was really at this place where I knew that, um, I was up for a new challenge and, um, you know, and and it was at around that time just shortly before that, that my dad died. And that really gave me this very powerful brush with mortality. And I was like, is this, you know, is this all I've got or is there a bigger impact here for me to have? And ultimately I decided there was a bigger impact for me to have um, and that it was time for me to step out from sort of advising people behind the scenes to yes, continuing to advise and support, but to um, kind of share my own message and lead the way, you know, um, through what I had to say about women in leadership. So that's kind of the, the impetus, the twin impetuses. If that's how you pluralize it, that helped me transition into the work that I'm currently doing.
1: And so I'm really curious because it sounds like you're really good. You were really good at being behind the scenes, helping other people really step up into the spotlight. And now this new familiar, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now it's like you becoming the face, right? And you having to go out there. So what did you have to do internally to get yourself to that place where you were comfortable, really going like full on? Mm -hmm. base of the business ready Mm -hmm. to go.
0: Oh yeah. Like that was, you know, and it's interesting. That was a really, um, there's a couple of things. So there's sort of this, like, the, the things that I had to do, you know, from a psychological perspective and the psychological things I had to do to help me grow that type of business from a practical perspective. So I think the first, um, you know, the, the first thing, I think there becomes a reckoning, which is that, you know, out there, there's a conversation that's happening. And what is, what do you want your place to be in that conversation? And, you know, um, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of that conversation. And so the first part of it is, number one, figuring out what do you have to say and then uh, really negotiating with yourself and getting yourself into a situation where it's that you feel that you have the right to say it and that it's worth listening to, <laughs> you know, like your voice matters. And for women and voice, um, you know, and having that ability to speak, it's a huge thing. And, and the ability for women to speak, I think, is so tied up in, um, you know, in feminist history, really. So for me, the things that I had to do, number one is, um, after I sort of identified what are the core areas, like, you know, what are the core things that I'm going to speak about? And I think that's from a practical perspective, really important. And I did that actually through blogging. So I started blogging regularly and that helped me find my voice and discover what it is that I wanted to say. And then there was this other part, which was really being, um, you know, cultivating the inner resilience that I needed to be visible. So, um, really dealing with limiting thoughts, like, do people care what I have to say? Does it matter what I have to say? Are people going to criticize what I have to say? So those kind of things, is it arrogant for me to, um, to be the face and voice of my business? So sort of n- doing that kind of work and those um, are loaded things. <laughs> They're very loaded. So very how did you things. get started on tackling those things? I threw myself into it. Made myself exceptionally uncomfortable for a very long time. Um, Surrounded myself with other people who were also doing similar things. And it was only there that it was only through, like, you can't prep your way or think your way. You know, for me, I had to put myself into that situation. And I had to do the work on the real state of being uncomfortable versus how do I prepare myself for the discomfort that's happening? You're
1: bringing back memories of that day. We were on the stage at the Wonder Woman. I was like, there's no, like on that day, there's like, there's nothing I can do now. I can't bow out. I'm in the program, right? I just need to go up there. I need to sit there and I need to tell my story and
0: answer the questions. And yeah, like. That is, yeah, you're bringing back the memory. yeah, right. You have to see yes. yourself. It's like, you know, and it's so interesting because it's this idea of confidence, you know. And and I I I um, think that for many, for both you and myself, and for you know the women who are listening to this and the men who are listening to this, you know, at this stage in our development, you know, we're kind of past the need for confidence. We have confidence, you know. What we need at this stage is what I would call radical conviction. So um, you know, we that we have a commitment, you know, we've made a commitment to do something. And that commitment paints us into a corner where you have to fight your way out of that corner, you know, and you have to fight yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, fight the resistance, the limiting beliefs, like all of that kind of stuff. And if you don't, if I didn't put myself in the corner time and again, it would have been so easy not to do it, you know? So for me, that's like, you know, the short answer is by making those commitments, by putting myself into uncomfortable situation after uncomfortable situation for, I would say, two and a half years. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. That's intense. Yeah, it was very intense. It was very intense, and now, like I, you know, uh, uh, um, it's it's different. And a lot of those, I mean, definitely, there's still, you know, we always have work to do. But so much of that stuff has been completely burned away. Like it just doesn't even exist anymore. Not really. Unless it's like a really big deal, then it'll come. Yeah, out. exactly. Like when I get on, when I get on the Oprah Network. Yes. <laughs> I'll be watching, Let oh, me I know. Know. or maybe we'll be on a panel together. Yes, we'll be on um, we'll be on Super Soul Sundays together. Exactly. Exactly. Let's
1: just throw it out there. That'd be exactly. yeah, let's make it that happen. Be so much fun. Okay, that was really great to hear that because that is exact it's yes, that is like exactly what I had to do. And that thing we did together, that was really like the first time where I was kind of really way outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. And a really cool thing happened. A couple of months later, I got to go speak at a conference in California, which was even more outside of my comfort zone because I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And just being there with you and like going through that, it just gave me the confidence to like be able to deliver when I had to go on a even a big in a bigger city and kind of yeah. do the same thing. So thank you for sharing that and making it feel normal that <laughs> you're so welcome. I've been going through that too. Um, so talking about this like what kind of roadblocks did you hit along the way? Cause starting a big, big, big business and scaling it, it's not on the outside, it looks easy,
0: but I want to know like what roadblocks slowed you down? Oh, so, you know, and I love this question and um, I love this question and there's so many different ways to answer it. I mean, I would say that I hit roadblocks every day, you know, like every single day, there's always something new. Um, and, and it's because- we try a lot of things, you know? And so to me, it's like experimentation is so critically important. So trying things, staying on the front of that learning curve, um, trying different strategies, using different forms of marketing, um, experimenting with different types of messaging, and, and do they um, are they really speaking you know, to your market, inventing new, um, you know, new methodologies in terms of coaching and development programs and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I, I actually in some ways think about um, this idea of collecting failures. And um that has really helped me because it what I find is that um, the 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 more I experiment and try new things, um, the more failures I collect, but the faster I learn, you know the faster i 'm able to collect sort of information from my marketplace and um, and grow but to to put that into sort of practical context, so i 'm really taking this. Uh, you know in my hat as um like CEO of my company and i would say that the biggest roadblock there 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 were two kind of roadblocks and the first time i experienced these i didn't recognize them for what they are but now i see them much more so the first is that i can remember um there was a phase when my business um took a a, a like a leap like a, it we went through a, a like an exponential growth period and i um, I saw that it was happening, but it was almost a little bit like a sleeper hit. Like I'd been working so hard to make this kind of exponential growth happen. And then it started happening and it's almost like I, I kind of didn't realize it. And so what happened is my schedule started filling up and filling up and filling up and I didn't make the investments in team quickly enough. You know, I didn't hire quickly enough, and that was um, that was a roadblock for a couple of different reasons. So number one, I had um, bandwidth issues, which had an impact on sort of my overall quality of life. So I found that I wasn't um, I didn't have enough time to um, work out. To meditate, like those kinds of things that are so critical to my well being. So that was like one roadblock. And it's, and it's interesting because now my calendar, I, I use it in a much different way. So whenever I start to feel overwhelmed or that my calendar is too full, that's a signal to me, okay, I need to take a look at my hiring plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I have found that, um, you know, that women entrepreneurs often under hire. So I think it has to do with our sort of relationship with risk. And very often you'll have these women entrepreneurs who have their business is successful, but they're still, it's almost like they don't know it yet, you know? And so they're not quite taking the kinds of risks and hiring the help. They're trying to do everything themselves. So that was a big roadblock. And, and, you know, I've seen it in other people and for me, you know, now I really, you know, I, I really take that seriously. I don't at all think I have to do it by myself um, and absolutely reinvest back into this asset, this lovely asset that we both have, which is called a business, you know, which is basically a cash and impact machine, you know? So that was one roadblock um, that I learned from. Another roadblock, you know, and this is, um, and this is again related to, you know, entrepreneurship and particularly sales, So, you know, for me, I have always been most comfortable creating content, delivering programs sort of in that technical side, planning out strategy, but there's a super important function inside business, you know, which is sales, which is where you get to transform impact into money. And that was not something I had a ton of experience with really. And so for me, um, there were times, especially early in my business where I always wanted to outsource sales. You know, I wanted to bring in sales teams, bring in salespeople to do that and would take my eye off sales and look at other, you know, and kind of be focused on other areas of the business. And I have found that that's one area where as the CEO, you always have to be super uh, locked in and close to what is happening on the sales side. You know, and it's so interesting because if you look at what makes super successful companies successful. It's that the CEOs of those companies stay very connected. They stay very market facing. It's like why um, Meg Whitman, who was the CEO of HP, even a CEO would continue to cold call prospects and customers (laughs) to have that gut instinct and connection to what her client, her company's clients and customers really wanted. So I think, you know, um, as a CEO of a business, even if it's a business of two people, you know, um, that's something that sometimes women entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs generally want to outsource and you just can't. So that was a roadblock that created a slowdown, um, in growth over several months until I caught what was going on and, and fixed this and fixed it. So what did that lead you to
1: those two roadblocks? So kind of the idea that you needed to upscale your team and that you needed to take control of sales.
0: I think it that 's a great question, and for me, it really caused me to step back and take a look at what what is my role now, you know, and like what 's my role now, and what is my area of greatest and most valuable contribution to the company so i 'll give you an example like um, for me, the area of greatest contribution. Is in, um, you know, I know that I'm having the biggest impact when I am creating media, um, when I am uh, coaching my team, and when I am actively engaged in, um, you know, de- predicting the future, like deciding where our company is going to go. That looks different from what I would have said before I experienced these things. I would have said at that time my greatest value and contribution to the company is in coaching women, and I love coaching women. I'm great at coaching women, and when I'm doing that, I'm in my technician role, which I love, and I always do one-on-one coaching. But when I think about what I do, you know, and so if I think about the, this asset that I've built with my team, which provides employment for families, which um, you know creates impact and training for women which has you know creates lots of free stuff for women all over the place to honor this i have to really and i had to really investigate what my what my highest value in the market to this company is and try to stay very focused on operating in these areas and this is a question that you know this is something that can be it's a transformation it's a step that we need to take as women leaders and entrepreneurs and it can be hard for us to do that because it sometimes means stepping away from an identity you used to have,
1: mm-hmm. and something that you're really good at too. Yeah, because there's could be something that you're even to focus on what you're even better at and that exactly. potential and the scalability, right? It sounds like one-on-one coaching. It's not really scalable.
0: It's not. You know, it's funny. It's not scalable. And um, and for I'm you, totally okay but yeah, yeah, exactly. It's scalable for other coaches. Yeah. To come. Yeah. And, and for me right now, I see like, I'll always have some of that because that's, again, that's what, that's what keeps me very connected to that one woman, you know, that I want to talk to and reach and impact. Cool.
1: Okay. So now I want to switch the conversation a little bit and Mm -hmm. talk about the gender gap. Cause I mostly talk about corporate. So looking what happens in the corporate world and we know Women are falling off the leadership train at every single level. So even that first entry-level management position, men rise at a faster rate than women. And then at the top in Canada right now, 5% of CDOs are women, and it's the
0: same in the U.S. So, and that like, hasn't changed in 30, 40 years. Yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> I know I read the world economic forum, gender gap report and in Canada. So when it started in 2006, they did the first one. Um, we have progressed by 1.8%. Wow. Not, Not per year.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I want to know how does entre- how does entrepreneurship and how does that, they show up for women entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, it shows up in money and power. I mean, it's, it's just, just like everywhere else. So, um, you know, women, North American women are starting businesses anywhere from three times faster to five times faster than the national average. In the United States, you know, women start 1,800 businesses each and every day. Um, and this has been a trend that has been happening basically since 2007, So women have been starting businesses faster than their male counterparts. But what's interesting is that when you look at the total share of revenues that women-owned businesses create, and you look at the total job creation, the share of jobs that women businesses create, they haven't changed at all. So more businesses, same proportions, which means we're starting businesses, but they're actually proportionally quite small. And so this is not to say that uh, there isn't a place for small business and that small isn't beautiful, you know, but the average revenue of a woman owned business in this country is $55,000 which is, you know, I would say an early to mid-level job. And so again, if this is, if, if someone's listening and they're like, wow, my business is doing $55,000. There's not a problem with that. But what I'm saying is, um, the same kind of gender gap that we have in the corporate world, which is when it comes to concentrations of money and power, you know, that's very much in the hands of men, the same thing is happening in the world of entrepreneurship. And so I think there's three kind of key areas. The first is access to funding and capital. Um, the second is that what I would call a startup bias. And so when you look at development opportunities for women entrepreneurs, um, programming courses supports they are all focused on those startup you know on women starting businesses but where i think the majority of the value is created is really women who are you know you're past sort of the half a million dollar mark you're scaling into the seven figures at this point you're hiring people you're making recirculating that wealth back into the community there's precious little support i call it the glaring middle You know, so there's very little support for women entrepreneurs at this phase. Um, And then the third thing I think is that entrepreneurship education by and large is shaped by men. There are very few, you know, super well-known women authors. Like who's the female equivalent of Jim Collins, good to great. There isn't one. So when it comes to the world of business, so much of our thinking about business strategy, marketing strategy growth has been informed by a male lens. And I have those books. I love those books. But what I think about is what's important to women as entrepreneurs? How do we measure success? What does it look like? What are our unique challenges? And I think that's a, that's a subtle and insidious form of gender bias because, you know, for women, it's important that our experiences and the things that we want are reflected to us in our teachings and in how we evaluate success. So I would say those are kind of three core ones that I am really passionate about exploring, highlighting, and correcting. So it's the education piece. Yes. And the, the concentration
1: of money at the top. Yep. And then what's the third one? startup bias oh so. the startup bias okay yeah, so we so. focus on small like oh just start and mm-hmm. then because all of the resources are there it sounds like you'd be networking like oh I gotta go get out I gotta find my tribe and then you're going and it's all focused on starting so it almost sounds like it could hold you back in your thinking because you're showing up wanting to learn and grow but all the resources are aimed on just starting not on scaling. Totally. so it could yep. keep you kind of in, cause you are the five, you are the average of the five people you spend your time with. Right. And if you're spending time with all these people that are in the startup phase, then, which is great. And people in the startup phase need to exactly. be together. But if you're like mid phase, you're like, where is my support? Like I need something different at this point.
0: Oh yeah. Like look at it this way. You know, it's a crime. There's so many women entrepreneurs out there who are even generating like 80,000 in revenue who could be generating half a million in revenue without additional work. And it's just an understanding of what it takes to get a business from 80,000 to 500,000, which is very, you know, and, and those are the conversations I think that are not happening. Um, there's so much, there's so much focus on getting a business to its first sort of $80,000 in revenue you know, and I think there's a real infantilization of business education, you know, for women, start your website, get your, you know, get your registration, build your network, you know, and those kinds of things are absolutely important, but in service of what, you know, what does, you know, how do you take a service-based business, which is what so many women start, how do you take a service-based business and actually scale that, you know, how do you ensure quality of service as you scale that business, you know, do we, right? Exactly. Like how, how, how do you market effectively and scale a personal brand? So those are the kinds of questions that I think are very important to women based on the kinds of businesses that we're starting that I just don't see enough conversation around.
1: Okay. So if someone's ready to go, so like, what are some things that we could do? Um, you mean to grow? Yeah. So, if women are listening and they're like, "Okay, I want it." So, one, I want to ha- ask you this question twice. So, one is, "What can these entrepreneurs do? What are the, what's the best place to get started?" If you're like, "I'm in it, I'm ready to go," like, let's take action. That's my first question. And then after, I'm going to ask you, "What can women who are employees, yeah. do to support women-owned businesses?"
0: Oh, I love it. Okay. So, so um, here's the thing. So, if you're a woman entrepreneur you are, uh, chances are very strong that you have started a service-based business. Okay. So there's lots of women starting product-based, but, but in general, women are starting service-based businesses. So we're getting into business, building a business around a specific service that we offer. Um, And again, so you're, you're offering those services one-to-one, Um, And you can, you can take that business, you know, through a lot of hustling to probably about 200, maybe 250 max, you know, depending on how hard you're working, you can take it to that level. um, And that's where you're going to stay. And for some people, that's going to be enough. For some people, if you want to really kind of build a foundation to scale beyond that, there's a couple things that you want to do. So the first is that you're going to, um, I want you to think through how you transform a service And how you start to identify what I would call your intellectual property. So, like you, Andrea, you're a specialist in professional coaching, you know, executive coaching for women inside the corporate world. And let's say, you know, your specialty is helping them get promoted to like a VP level, you know? And so you're working with people one to one, but chances are you have this pretty powerful methodology that you're using over and over again. And so that can be methodology. So now you wanna think about, okay, how can I scale me? So as an example, you can start to develop that in, that methodology into a piece of intellectual property that can now become a particular kind of certification. And so now you can actually certify other women executive coaches to deliver this promise that you deliver and at that point you have created a business that is a true cash machine and a license to print money because it actually provides a a business opportunity to qualified people i.e. executive coaches who are trying to produce a result for their clients you know which is what their clients want so that would be one example so you're mm-hmm. thinking about identifying intellectual property and creating a model around it that can grow and that allows you to scale yourself, so I think you know really looking at you know at that is one key, and the other thing is to start taking really looking and understanding lifetime value of a customer so there's only three ways to grow the top line i e the revenue of any business it's you can sell to more customers. You can increase the, you know, the um, average transaction size, i.e. sell bigger programs and products, or you can increase the frequency of, of, of purchase so people can buy from you more frequently. So really creating a business model, looking at it less as your service and more as the business structure and model. I think that's the most important thing we can do. And these are the conversations that we're not having because we're so focused on that initial startup.
1: And I wonder if we've had those conversations at the beginning, what would be possible if you go into your business thinking, what can I do today that I'm I'm maybe not going to scale it in the first year, but what can I do differently at the start so that when I am a year or two years in, I have these assets, I'm thinking about what these assets I could create right now. To scale. Totally.
0: And, you know, it, and it's so different from, you know, if you think about sort of the traditional kind of high tech, like when we think about areas, you know, that are very au courant from an entrepreneurship perspective, a lot of them are things like high tech companies that are basically monetizing intellectual property. Like, you know, algorithm, like how they have, they're, they're monetizing in a different way. It's a totally different setup, you know, but they understand, you know, through their ecosystem, the path to growth. There's an ecosystem that really has to be built for women entrepreneurs around service based businesses, which is primarily what we're building. And we really need to take a look at what our ecosystem for growth looks like. And right now it's grossly underserved.
1: Because it is interesting.
0: There is so many
1: support opportunities for tech companies, a million, so many. And it's like, I think you're right. It's like, we need like that business model, that expertise, that this is how you do it. And Mm -hmm. here's the steps that you need to do. Here's the things you need to measure because we're not having that conversation and it's not happening in the business education that we're getting today.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not. Okay. So now
1: my next question is what can women do? So women who work in the corporate world and are like, yes, like I'm not cool with this, right? Like I want to do my part to, to close the gender gap. So they're doing it at work. They're putting themselves out there. They're asking for that next level at their company. They're opening the doors for others in their companies, but what can they do to help entrepreneurs?
0: That's a great question. And I was thinking through this, you know, and I was thinking about the number one challenge that, um, that, You know, that the women entrepreneurs who are listening to this show, the number one challenge that they would have, and how women who are currently inside the corporate world could support that. So, I think the number one challenge that most women small business owners have is access to the market. So, it's access to potential customers and clients. So, in that world, the most important currency is attention. You know And so I think that um, one thing that women, entre- that women in corporate can do, if you go on LinkedIn, you're going to see some incredible articles or you know, pieces of content that have been developed by women entrepreneurs that are providing education. So if, if you're a woman entrepreneur, um, you're providing a service, chances are you are engaged in education marketing. You're writing like what, like this, you know, creating excellent podcasts, writing amazing articles that help people. Um, and they help also to garner attention for your business and spread awareness about what you do. So a really simple thing you can do is to share that content with your followers, you know? So rather than just continuously sharing the latest article from the Wall Street Journal, which is great. How about you think about so so what we're doing is entrenching this access you know to generally uh, you know media conglomerates that are conti- you know their boards and those media conglomerates are typically controlled by men and so that is what we're sharing rather than just doing that how about you start to take more of a grassroots approach so you start to share media that's produced by different diverse voices it's a super tactical thing that people can do. Andrea is having this webinar. You need to check it out. Here's an article that Eleanor wrote. You need to check it out. So really trying to support women-owned businesses with access to audience and access to eyeballs. I think that's actually a super, super, super um, practical thing. And then the other thing is to leverage the power of their corporate purchasing power to bring women entrepreneurs into corporate supply chains. So a lot of women listening to this have through, they have access, maybe they're part of a committee that's doing event planning. Well, see if you can engage a woman event planner. Maybe they are, you know, they need to engage translation services. Can you ensure that a woman owned business business is bidding on that? So there's lots of different ways that you can engage women entrepreneurs through the corporate supply chain. um, And it's a great way to kind of make an impact.
1: I went to an event last week about supply chain diversity and they said that five percent of corporate supply chain government and corporate in Canada goes to women-owned businesses.
0: Yeah. Wow. I'm 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 blown away five percent. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a huge
1: opportunity there. So I'm just thinking if someone like I know, if someone in the corporate world, they're like sitting there, they're like, How do I? even get started. Like they believe it, but you know, all that stuff gets in the way. I'm not the person. I'm not the purchasing person. How I'm too small. I'm only that like all the stuff goes on and you read the article that Eleanor wrote. And then you're like, that was a great article. And you keep it to yourself. Yeah. Then, I, then
0: basically gets to get help
1: your, you. <laughs> you don't do it. So, what are some like tools that people can do to like just get over that and like take that action and be an advocate for mm-hmm. kind of getting yeah. owned businesses into their supply chain?
0: Um, you know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, your your success and overall happiness in life is going to be in direct proportion to the amount of skin that you put in the game. So, if you don't have it within you to be like, "Hey, you know, let's bring this person into the corporate supply chain. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to um, just kind of draw a line in the sand here where in that moment, this is one of those, just do it. You know what I mean? Like we can sit here and provide lots of coaching for how they can support, but you know, come on ladies, we can just freaking do it. JFDI, you know, um, share, hit this button that's called share. You know what I mean, or hit this email and and embed the link and send it to a couple people, or you know um, if you're having the committee and you guys are looking for suppliers and, and people have some ideas, just be like, "Hey, you know what? I think it would be great to introduce one or two new some fresh blood you know to our to our search for suppliers. Let me come back to you with a couple of suggestions you know and and at the end of the day and by skin in the game i mean putting yourself out there like i can't think of anybody who's achieved anything that or or hit a certain level of satisfaction and happiness where they haven't put themselves out there and i think in some way and sometimes it's like putting themselves way out there and sometimes it's by raising something you know so just i mean just do it you know at the end of the day to me that's like that it's just something that it's just got to happen make the commitment have the conversation.
1: I love it. Cause I'm kind of like, you know what? Like we're changing at 1.8% over 12 years, right? It's like, so do you want it to keep going at 1.8% every two years, every 12 years, or can we make it happen faster? Can we close this gender gap
0: faster? Right? Like let's just do it. I know. Can we channel the power of our indignation? Indignation is a very powerful emotion. You know, can you channel the power of your indignation to actually make a change?
1: Yeah, just do it. I love Let's it. Do it. I love it. So now I want to talk about um the supply chain. So what are some things that cuz I really believe that knowledge is power. I believe like there's a lot of believe in yourself, follow your dreams, but the reality is we the gender gap is there. <laughs> it exists. So what are kind of like the three barriers? Like the three main barriers that are right there that women can just be really intentional about you know what this is showing up for me today i need to just be aware so that i know when it's here that i can come over it and i can do something about it instead of just pretending it doesn't exist
0: i mean i think the three biggest uh barriers for women in business so there's you know there's and and i'm going to highlight some barriers that that are very real that we don't talk about very much so you know th- th- Overall, a primary barrier for women currently is always going to be access, access to networks, access to yeah. capital, you know, yeah. are the two of the typical sort of biggest ones. And, and there's a lot of conversation out there. I think if I were to take another, if I were to take perhaps a fresh take on this for your listeners, I think there's three core barriers for women in business that can really hold us back from growth in addition to those, the sort of classic access, you know, barriers to access. So the first is nice girls don't talk about money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The second is the ambition tax. And the third is the impact requirement. So nice girls don't talk about money. I think, you know, women are continue to this day to feel uncomfortable negotiating hard for money, can sometimes feel uncomfortable Um, talking about money, making offers, naming pricing, you know, pricing, that kind of thing. I think that's, um, that can be, that is something that I have observed and it can be a barrier because money is a core currency, you know, in the world of business. And as, and as an entrepreneur, you ultimately are the guardian for the money that's coming into your business, you know? So I think that's one thing. And so I think it's really important that we as women, Pay attention to how we talk about women who are negotiators, and that we um, do a lot of kind of self-coaching around how we ask for money and how we sort of quote our services. You know, so that's going to be the first thing. A so, second, what's the cost of, of quoting them too low? Um, burnout, you know, and and it limits. It, it super limits growth. So, you know, businesses require a fuel to grow, and the fuel is called cash. You know, and, and so cash is the the richest women entrepreneurs use money to make more money, the richest entrepreneurs anywhere. And so, um, money becomes not just something that you have, you know, to build your retirement at Nest Egg, it actually becomes a primary asset that can be translated into more growth. Higher return on investment and all those things, and so in the beginning, you know, it has to do with how you're pricing, um, and that you're pricing to create a healthy profit margin that allows you to reinvest back into your business for growth. So I hear people, and I think this is an internal hangout
1: that people say, especially with entrepreneurs, "Oh, it's not about the money. I'm doing this because it's fulfilling, and I want to serve people." So what? Let's talk about that and
0: where that comes from, and why it's unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, that's the impact requirement, right? I would call that the impact requirement. So for instance, you know, um, uh, Steve Jobs, he was allowed to say that with Apple, his goal was to make a ding in the universe. Um, that was totally acceptable. Um, and if you look at someone like an Oprah Winfrey, uh, her growth has always been around and her messaging has always been much more tied to making a, a larger impact. And I think it actually has to do with how we look at gender and how we, how we um, define things like femininity. So when you look at you know, research into how uh, words that we use to define what it means to be feminine, the first you know, conclusion is that femininity is always described as relational. Um, And it's also always described in uh, a context that's in service to. So we're always in relation and it's always about what we're doing for other people. And so if we start to, so it's, it's like this, 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 like the quandary of the female empire builder, which is she can't, it's, if she does something just for the money, you know, it's, it's about doing something, giving something to someone else versus building something for yourself. And so it's, so it's, you can't be both a woman or feminine and be building something for yourself or only in it for the money. So I think that's, I don't buy it. You know, I can remember speaking to somebody who was like, well, you know, we, in our research with women entrepreneurs, they all say that they're not in it for the money. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, have you done more research into women ambition and the (laughs) impact requirement because I'm calling BS right now, right now that women are not in it for the money. That's just not true. We just know that we're going to face major repercussions if we say that we are. So
1: what's the solution? Is it to try to like have a a link between the service and the money or like, what can we do to like recognizing that this is a thing, right? Like if I Uh go out there talking about the money, it's going to rub people the wrong way. People are May not be as accepting to my message. What's a way to get over that?
0: So I think, you know, it's through our stories. I mean, I think that it's really important, you know, for, for women. So a couple of things. The first is, I think it's really important for women to normalize, um, to, to normalize ambition and to normalize conversations around money and to normalize what it looks like to be a, um, a woman in business. You know, I think, I think that it's important for women to know, this is why, you know, I think it can be important for women to talk about, you know, if, 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 if you're doing well in your business, if you've built a business that is generating revenue and doing well, I think it's important to own that, not because you're bragging, but because you are showing, like, I have always learned the most by seeing what's possible for other people and looking at that and being like, oh, okay. Well, if she's doing that, I, I could probably do that. You know, so I think those kinds of conversations are really important. The other thing that I think, you know, is real is, and this has to do, this kind of loops back to this idea of the startup bias. And I have 100% experienced this. And it's that um, it comes back to, you know, Oprah's thing, which is that people will support you until you exceed their expectations of you. And I remember noticing you know noticing at a certain point in my business when i started to experience a quantum leap and things really started to shift um a distinct cooling of support from certain corners of my network and it was very interesting to me and i, I at first i was like is this a limiting thought that i'm having and i did a lot of work around it and then i started talking to other women entrepreneurs and it's real you know, like it really happens. It's a thing, and I think this is um, again, does you know, does a successful and uh, uh, a successful woman entrepreneur who's who has built something, does that square with our idea of what it means to be feminine? And so I think it's really important that we make sure that we support women not just up to the point where they're becoming successful, but after they've become successful. Anyone will support you before you're successful. You'll get support from every place. Once you've become successful, that's where you can really tell the difference between people who are there for you and the personal work that they've done and what they haven't. So I think it's really important that we support, pay extra attention to supporting women after they become successful. Because it's lonely at the top, right? well it can be you know and i mean you've got different types of considerations and there's just different stuff going on but there's a reason that it's lonely at the top and i think it's because of this cooling action that you know that i was talking about like men it's different for them there's a there's a legacy and a history of men's networks you know it's not the same but for women we're still operating i think in this psychological space where we think access to opportunity is limited
1: Yes, yep. it's that scarcity mentality. It's yeah. like, oh, well, if she's really successful, then I can't because she's taking it away from me. right. Okay, yeah. so we went through, okay, so we talked about the impact requirement. We talked about money let's talk about access to networks. How can people, how can we, when we feel like we're in that situation, like, you know what, like I feel that all the time, um, because I'm selling coaching programs to bigger organizations and like the decision makers are mostly men. And a lot of the time I don't have access to them. So I'm sitting back and I'm being strategic. I'm getting help whenever I can. Um, so I'm able to recognize that now, but how can, Other people start to recognize that. And I think this is relevant for my corporate listeners too.
0: So, you know, just understand that power, real power congregates in small rooms you know, and it's not in the big rooms, it's, it's happening in the small rooms. And so you have to do what you can do to get yourself into the small rooms. So um, what boards are you a part of? Um, What committees are you a part of? Like really thinking about how you start to build your network in small ways, not just in big ways. So yes, it's great to go to the networking events and, and networking events are places where you open conversations. They're not places where you go to close opportunities. And I think that's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest frustration that women have. Well, I'm, I'm been told to build my network. So I'm attending all these, you know, networking events. I'm glad handing like a Yahoo. I ate my total body weight in cheese and and crackers and and celery and that dip and ranch dip. Um, and it hasn't, necessarily translated into meaningful opportunity for me yet. And so I think it's this idea that, you know, larger venues like that are a great place to open up a conversation. But if you really want to advance, you know, and you want to start building relationships with influencers who can open up opportunity like that. You know, um, then they're the ones who sign the checks and they're the ones who influence you know the outcomes. They're the ones who, if they say, "Hey, you know, um I know we have this women's leadership development program that we're running. you need to I want to make sure that you guys talk to Andrea Jansen, you know like those those conversations and those relationships are happening in much smaller rooms. so mm-hmm. I, want, I think it's important to think about, okay, so if a larger networking situation is the opening and it gives me exposure to new people, how can I take these kinds of relationships to the next level? So it could be, how can you create your own small opportunities? So how can you host an executive roundtable? you know, to talk about X, Y, Z. How can you identify, you know, um, you've got a target list of organizations, you start to take a look at who are the senior leaders in those organizations? What organizations are there a part of? What? How? Who do I know who knows them? How can I get into small rooms with these people to start building my relationships that way? What do I stand for? What am I known for? You know, um, because that's another powerful one, if you have a built a personal brand and expertise around a specific area, you know, that can help give you access, you know, to those smaller rooms too. So I think that's like an important thing to, to think about.
1: I love it. Cause it's so simple.
0: Yeah, it is. Go yeah.
1: Think about the small room, right? It's a really good mindset hack when you're feeling overwhelmed, you're like, where do I go? How do I access this company? Mm-hmm. I've got to look for the small room, look for the small room.
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. That was super helpful. So I'm all about taking action. So I always encourage everybody to do something within 24 hours with what they learned today. So what do you think is the best first step for someone that they can do today or tomorrow at the absolute latest?
0: So if it's an entrepreneur or a woman business owner, I think the number one thing that you can do is make an offer every single day. So, um, make an offer to somebody. And so it could be, you know, I am hosting this webinar. I think you should participate in it or, you know, um, I'd love to, you know, I've noticed that you're, you know, you got, your organization is doing this. Can we, I'd love to have a 50 minute call with you about how I might support. It's an offer every single day where you're meaningfully, you're connecting with one person and, opening up a conversation to engage with your business. I think if you do that every single day, um, you'll build a very solid pipeline of cash um, leading directly from the marketplace into your bank accounts. That's the first thing. If you're a woman who wants to support women entrepreneurs, I think it's really, um, it's, it's one variation of this. It is either, it's, Give, it, give a woman entrepreneur access to an opportunity. So it could be you send one email, look at this blog Andrea wrote, it's amazing, or listen to this podcast, I heard this great podcast, check it out, you know, as an example. Um, it could be sharing something, uh, an article or something that's written by a woman entrepreneur with your LinkedIn network, or it could be making sure, um, you know, that that uh, there is a woman owned business that's part of every Uh, you know, a purchasing pool or, you know, um, RFP that your company issues.
1: I love it. So just being strategic about doing one small thing, right? Share the article. If you're feeling a little bit scared, just share the article. If you're feeling really ambitious that day, call your
0: purchasing department. (laughs) If you're feeling scared about writing an article, you've got bigger problems. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help you. Okay well thank you so much Eleanor. Um so if people want to learn more about you how do they do that? So I would say if somebody's listening to this podcast then they are podcast lovers. So check out uh, Fierce Feminine Leadership. Um the success podcast for ambitious women in business. Go check it out. Okay, great and your website Eleanorbeaton.com. Eleanorbeaton.com. Hey, I will put
1: this in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. This is such a treat for me
0: to have you on. Oh, it was so much fun. I can't wait for our, I can't wait for us to do a panel on uh, Super Soul Sunday. Yeah, that'll be great. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Bye. That was such a great interview with Eleanor Beaton. I learned a lot about myself, about asking my network for help to get more corporate clients. So that was a big takeaway for me. If you like this interview and you want to hear more like it, take a minute to hit subscribe so that you don't miss an episode of the Diversity at Work podcast. And if you liked what you heard today, I would love it if you could leave a review because it helps spread the word that the podcast exists and gets the word out there and gets more people on board learning about what it's really going to take to close the gender gap. So thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you on the next episode.